You're listening to Dynasty by Decade, presented by DraftKings and the Hockey Podcast Network. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN at sign up for exclusive offers. Episode featuring the tip of the iceberg podcast presented by DraftKings. Visit DraftKings Sportsbook and use THPN at sign up for fantastic odds on your very first sports bet. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I am here alongside two individuals that know way more about Pittsburgh Penguins hockey than the common individual. And we are here to talk about the decade that was for the Pittsburgh Penguins and kind of run down the dynasty of the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 2010s. Like I said, my name is Nick Berlansky, one of the hosts of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My co-host, Nick Horwat, is also here. Horwat, how are you doing tonight, buddy? Doing good. I'm back from vacation. Thank you for doing an episode without me. I appreciate that. <laughs> and this is exciting. This is something different that we're doing, obviously. Thank you to DraftKings. And, I mean, this is stuff we've discussed at nauseum ourselves i think going over the past decade of this hockey team but beyond all that we have one more guest with us yes we are joined as well by brian metzer of penguins live you can hear him on the penguins live pre-game post-game even giving questions to the old two niner on intermission reports brian metzer how you doing today oh i'm great guys it's awesome to be here with you again and uh, i think this will be an exciting show to kind of look back at how awesome the penguins have been in the last decade i know People were a little downtrodden before the 16-17 runs, but I think it really changed the entire narrative on these guys. So it's going to be fun to break it all down with you, and I appreciate you guys having me on board. And thanks to DraftKings. This is awesome. Well, we appreciate you joining us. It's always a fun time when we get to talk to you, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more meetings in the future. (laughs) But let's get down to brass tacks. As you mentioned, people were a little downtrodden on the Pittsburgh Penguins in the beginning of the decade, although they had great regular season play. They just weren't able to follow up in the postseason. The only time they got to the conference finals in the first half was that 2013 season with Jerome McGinley and company. And even then, they got swept out pretty quickly by the Boston Bruins. D- do we all remember how bad that was? Two goals in four games, yes. <laughs> oh, how could you forget? <laughs> I vividly remember that series because that was our year. That was our year from beginning to end. But even before the trade deadline, I think we were supposed to be potential favorites. I bet you it would have been better if they didn't make those like every one of the trades because that was the Motley Crude trade deadline in my view. Yeah. And when I say that, I mean we don't make trades. We make all the trades. Ratio <laughs> went out and got everybody because you know Nikki Six once said that about drugs and beers and all this stuff because we don't do drugs we do all the drugs well that was ray shiro and his drug was trading and he went nuts and he got every big fish that was available and maybe upset the apple cart a little bit and unfortunately that cost them in the end because they got all these trades for scoring assets and they weren't able to score on the boston (laughs) bruins and it kind of marked the kiss of death for ray shiro and dan bilesma as well they did have another season the 2013-14 season but right after that they were fired the penguins cleaned house and brought in general manager Jim Rutherford and head coach Mike Johnston, and that was certainly an interesting year. The Penguins needed the last game of the season 
to get into the playoffs. I know right now, at the moment while we're recording this, the Penguins are trying to notch their 15th straight postseason, but it wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for Brandon Sutter's heroics in Buffalo. Two goals. Two-nothing win. <laughs> Thank you to Brandon Sutter for that. So it was only for them to bow out in five games against the Rangers, but it is important to note that without that, the Penguins wouldn't have went the entire decade with a playoff berth in every single season. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Uh, I remember that game well. I remember them getting into the playoffs, and then uh, it just was that kind of wacky feeling. It was very un-Penguins-esque, at least for what we knew up to that point, right, guys? I mean, it was just weird, uh, and you you didn't really feel like it was going to be their year having to squeak in, but then you still tried to believe just a little bit, and then, lo and behold, what was it, a, a very unceremonious dispatch in the playoffs once again, and it, it wasn't fun. It was not a great time. Yeah, I can remember that time because that was the hockey season. I started getting into journalism and started writing about the Penguins for my high school you know, online publication. I can remember doing a little Penguins beat for my high school thing. And um, I remember being at musical rehearsal on that <laughs> last game. I remember getting the, skull, the goal notifications whenever Brandon Sutter scored those two goals to put us into the playoffs. I mean, it's... When you have this many this many straight years of making the playoffs, there's bound to be a year or two where you kind of snuck in, or maybe you were one up from that. That was our snuck in year. Mm-hmm. You know, well, if you no remember too, the it. defenseman issue was that year where they the salary cap really impeded them, and they had to play a number of those games with five D yeah. because they didn't even have cap room to bring up uh, a call up. Uh, they had acquired a couple of guys there at the deadline, and it just didn't really work out. Uh, because the injuries to Chris Letang happened, and I believe Christian Ehrhoff was the other one that got hurt. And then the next thing you know, they didn't have cap room because you couldn't put those guys on long-term IR because it was so late in the season, and there wasn't time to get cap, get, you know, get any cap back. And the yeah. next thing you know, they, they limped down the stretch. And at one point, they had won four of 11, I think, down the stretch. Yeah. Ugly. I think also, wasn't that the Ole Mata year, too, when he had, what uh, what was it? Oh, that weird hip, hip, butt flank thing where he fell into the boards and like he had a couple lower body injuries. I think that kind of just disrupted his entire career. Yeah. If you ask me, he was never yeah. the same with his mobility after that. Yeah, it was that the cancer thing too, wasn't it? Was that that? I year? believe was he did that? have cancer that year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Jesus, it was, sadly, it's hard to keep track year. of the cancers that the Penguins have had. They've had a number of people get yeah. afflicted with it. <clears throat> Yeah, but that was the same year, I think, as that lower body, if I'm not mistaken. Because it wasn't yeah. the Minnesota Wild game. He fell into the boards or something, but the gate was open. Yep. And he, he oh, literally yeah. is – he was done for a long time. I think he had just come back from cancer. Yeah, maybe. He had, I remember he had just came back because I remember randomly looking through my old high school posts and I found the one that said he just came back. And then the next one was like, well, he's hurt again. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> he just went back out. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Also, that was the Thomas Grace year before he was good. <laughs> That's so. usually the way with somebody like uh, Greiser. I, yeah. I I will say uh, my my claim to fame with Grice, I mean, obviously I covered him and got a chance to talk to him, but I saw him at Houlihan's in Cranberry in Pittsburgh having <laughs> dinner with his wife just before he left town. He must have really liked that restaurant to make time to go to Houlihan's after the season <laughs> before moving on to a new team. That's good. Well, that ended up being kind of a theme for the Pittsburgh Penguins of that year and definitely a theme for the head coach because following season Mike Johnston was ousted in the middle of the season in favor of up and coming coach Mike Selvin brought up from the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins and if we all remember what happened prior to that season 
there was a certain winger that was brought to Pittsburgh that kind of changed <laughs> the whole shape of the Pittsburgh Penguins team. Phil Kessel was brought to Pittsburgh from Toronto in exchange for Kasperi Kapanen, Scott Harrington, a first rounder and a third rounder. There were some other names that were exchanged back and forth, but those were really the big names. And I say big names in quotation marks with Scott Harrington, but <laughs> it brought Phil Kessel in and that changed the entire landscape of this team. You're not going to give Tyler Biggs any love here, Nick. I'm not. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I saw his name. I typed it a little bit, but then I just deleted it out. I think it I wasn't have... a very big acquisition. Oh. <laughs> no, no he big. was yeah. – Phil Kessel, man, you know, I, I was at the draft whenever that conversation was happening. And you guys may know this. The conversations were happening in Florida. They were trying to get it done. It wasn't happening. Jim Rutherford was talking to Toronto. That was the day there was the big consternation at the on the draft floor at the table because Bill Guerin and Rutherford and Tom Fitzgerald and everybody were kind of fighting with one another. They weren't thrilled with that move. Also, this was the thing I'm not sure if you knew. If it fell through, the Penguins were awfully close to possibly acquiring TJ Oshie on the draft floor. And they put it off, and lucky for them they did because they got Phil Kessel on, what, Monday night, I think, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, there was a moment there where I do remember it was, okay, you're either going to get Phil Kessel or TJ Yoshi. It was pretty <laughs> much a fact that one of those two players was going to be a Pittsburgh Penguin. And I even briefly remember in my head saying, well, I kind of would prefer TJ Yoshi. Boy, <laughs> I love being wrong when it works out in the ways that it works out. But it worked out for the Penguins in this case. Funny how both of those guys kind of were intertwined in plenty of playoff battles in the next five years, you could say, essentially, because uh, they would just battle there. I think they, you know, at least four years worth of playoff battles because the two cup years for the Penguins, the Washington Cup year, and then just generally all of the the threat, the clashes and battles through the regular season. And Oshie still to this day comes after the Penguins awfully hard. He just hurt Marcus Pedersen this season. Yeah. TJ Yoshi is definitely a menace to society in the city limits of Pittsburgh, but all of those things that we mentioned, the firing of Johnston, bringing in Sullivan, Sullivan brought with him a crew from Wilkes-Barre, including Matt Murray, Brian Rust, Connor Sherry, and this team band together and won 14 of the final 16 games of the 2015-16 regular season. Good enough for second place in the Metropolitan Division, setting up a series against guess who? the team that ousted them the two previous preseasons in the New York Rangers. But this one would go a little bit more different. And it started off not looking great for the Pittsburgh Penguins because Mr. Game One, as he would turn out to be, <laughs> Jeff Zadkoff, out of nowhere, is sprung into the first game. And not only does he play a pretty good game, but Patrick Hornfist with a hat trick starting off basically. We didn't at this point. We liked Patrick Hornfist. But this is truly the beginning of the lore of the Viking in Pittsburgh. The Viking, I always like calling them that myself. And mm -hmm. and truth be told, that was the first move that Jim Rutherford made that started to re retool these Penguins. And Hornquist showed every reason why he liked him and wanted to bring him in. He's a winner on and off the ice. He was a winner in this game. Just that warrior mentality, the Viking mentality, bringing it out, being annoying in front of the net, being an immovable object, getting under the skin of guys like uh, um Ling, uh, Lundquist and everyone else from the Rangers. It was just awesome. I loved it. And Hornquist did that his entire career here in Pittsburgh. And now he's doing it with the Florida Panthers, unfortunately. I almost wish they would have held on to him because he's just that effective. What a great playoff performer. And uh, the straw that stirs the drink, I would say, because without him, I think 
they don't they don't look like that version of the Penguins. I know he wasn't the speed dynamic, but he brought an awful lot of everything else: scoring, toughness, a will to win, leadership, etc. Yeah, and he was one of those few carryovers from the season before that we had just talked about at a little bit of length, where he that was his first year here. He kind of saw the downside, but was part of this rebuild. He was the early on piece of it. And, you know, he was a good player then, but I think this is when Pittsburgh really discovered who he was, was this series. And if it really helps, I mean, there's another player that um, we got midseason who was a menace on that Ranger team that really helped us out in the turn. Carl Haglin, could it be him that you're referring yes. to? <laughs> For sure. I, I was Mr. debating Mr. wearing Hart? my <laughs> I was debating wearing my Carl Haglin jersey, but I chose against it because it's warm in my apartment right now. But yet he was a big part of this team. And let's move on to that series against the Capitals because the Penguins were able to dispatch with the Rangers relatively easily, even having Henrik Lundqvist yanked out of the net in game five, where the Penguins sealed it up with a four to one series win over the Rangers, bringing up a series against the Washington Capitals, the first time these two teams had met since the 2009 meeting. And yes, Carl Hagelin was here. Yes, we talked a little bit about Phil Kessel. Let's throw in the other guy, Nick Benino. Mm -hmm. They together made the HBK line, and this series against the Washington Capitals is really where that all started. What kind of presence did this line have? I mean, Brian, we'll start with you. Why was this line so good, and why is it that everybody keeps trying to build a line for the Penguins that would resemble that line from 2016? Well, you know what? You you really they they did come into their own in the playoffs, certainly in that series. But let's not forget that to set the Penguins up for this run, no Evgeny Malkin down the stretch, and in 15 games without him, they put up a a lowly 43 points uh, in the, in those games. Those that trio when it came together. And what's funny is if Gino doesn't get hurt, we probably never get HBK because he was centering that line essentially. And they moved Benino up when he did go out of the lineup, but they really were, were a dynamic that really threw the capitals off. The speed factor was there. I think all of those guys could really fly. They could all score. Carl Haglin was really in a groove during those playoffs. And whenever the capitals were trying to focus on guys like Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin, the third line for the penguins was essentially the best line in the, in the series. They were all over the place, and they didn't have an answer for it. And I really think it exposed the Capitals' depth a little bit because they had you know, guys that could match up pretty well. And I think this version of the Caps, and, and I don't think I'm confusing it with 17, I th- and he may have been there for both. Justin Williams was there, but you can't put him out on, on the ice for every shift against. He may have only been there in the second run. I always forget exactly his tenure in Washington. I just know that he didn't win there. And, oh, boy, that was fun uh, because Mr. Game <laughs> 7 couldn't do it against the Pittsburgh Penguins. But, yeah, for me, the HBK line just generally gave them a, a, a third head to the two-headed monster, and they had no answer for it. And there's a reason why we got Benino, 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 because Nick was all over. Those guys were all over, and it was just coming in swarms. Yeah, I mean, those three went one, two, three, and Penguins scoring for that series. Haglin had seven uh, points. Kessel had yep. six. Benino had five. So just the numbers alone speak for themselves. Those are three guys that, in a playoff series, you wouldn't expect to you know, be your top scorers. They're your third-line guys, and you're a team that has Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Uh but they weren't not that they weren't bad. They just didn't produce the same way that uh, that trio did. And the fact that we were able to knock them off in six games rather than seven, like every other time, <laughs> um, 
makes it even more makes it all the more impressive with three overtimes thrown in there. That that was the most exciting thing is is having to do it in overtime too. Of course, I think all of Pittsburgh had just nubs for fingers left after it because everybody was just biting them off. Uh, but to get those victories the way that they did, um, to break through and to have that head to head battle. I mean, Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. It obviously goes back to their their birth in the National Hockey League, and to this day, I know they eventually get past the Penguins once. But Sid constantly has bragging rights. Gino has bragging rights. The Penguins continue to have bragging rights against that organization. And my line then, and the same line in 17, and it's still that line now, even though I've seen it once, I won't believe that the Capitals will beat the Penguins in a playoff series until I witness it. And I've seen it twice in history now, but the Penguins have won, what, 80 to 90% of the time now. I think it was Mm -hmm. 11 times, and the Penguins have won uh, nine of them. So come on. Uh, it's like, it was just a lot of fun though, to have to steamroll through them. And you know, any Penguins trip to the Stanley cup and it's still this way has to go through Washington. It's mm. happened five times and it will continue to happen in history. I think who knows it might even happen one more time in the Sydney Crosby era. <laughs> Let's at least hope for that. But maybe you guys a few, mentioned... uh, in a few weeks, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> possibly, possibly. But you guys mentioned the overtime games, which is, I'm very happy you guys brought that up because not only do we have the game six overtime, which I do want to talk about a little bit in a second, but without that, we have that Patrick Hornquist game four overtime winner, which is huge. One of the biggest moments of Hornquist's career until, of course, what happened a year later. <laughs> we'll get to that. But Patrick Hornquist in game four, being able to beat Braden Holpe, put it right through the wickets and just the exasperation on his face as he won the game. And you see that smile, that smirk through that reddish beard it was perfect (laughs) and that was a huge game four win for the pittsburgh penguins that is the reason it set up a big game five to possibly take the series in washington they weren't able to but that's fine because it set up one of the best nights in ppg paints arena history in game six let's talk about that game six a little bit because i feel like if i'm not mistaken that's probably the most memorable game of that arena so far I would say it's certainly it's certainly up there. I mean, they've had some some exciting moments since, but I will say this much, Nick, it was the first, you know, because they they always talked about that building didn't have a lore and it didn't have the history and it didn't have the playoff good ghosts. You know, you have these specters of success that would hang over a team in a building. And they had that across the street. They did not have it at PPG Paints Arena. That year in general started to build a nice history there and that will forever be the foundation because I think up to that point you you may have had a playoff overtime win the one that comes to mind I think was Dupuis scored an overtime winner against the Senators um, in one of those those upset years that just didn't go well and it was a big moment but it wasn't the same it wasn't like you're feeling that this is going to be a a thing that's going to springboard the Penguins that game six is one that will go down in history as one of the first big playoff victories to help build a history of success in the building. And from then on, it, they were just off and running, and they've continued to build on it ever since. Yeah, that building, I think I can remember back to whenever I was in high school, I had a substitute teacher who would always tell me the Penguins will never win again because they tore down uh, Mellon slash Civic Arena and built a new one. And you could tell just by how the lure was going so far, he seemed to be right. Up until that game, it seemed, uh, the Crosby comeback game was probably the biggest moment in the building. Um, yeah, and it, that's not near the same as a playoff right. Uh, win, right? I mean, it's huge. Yeah. 
it's it's a huge moment. I mean, it doesn't help that he was again on the shelf like two weeks later, but <laughs> that gets forgotten about. We don't worry about it. We move on. But then that that Horquist goal was the first big one. It was the first huge one, and then the Benino one, even bigger. It seems so. Those were two huge moments to really yep. start setting the standard. And I think to that point, because I will argue for one in the following year, um, that was probably the biggest moment that uh, stadium had seen. I, you know what? I, it's just so I'm so lucky that I got to be in the building for those runs and I was working the broadcasts for them and to just live through it and see the energy there because everyone always said the buildings couldn't be as loud as across the street either. And we've had loud moments there and that Sid comeback is among them. I don't know that I've heard the building up to that point louder, those playoff wins, these overtime wins it, the roof blew off of this place. And to just have that excitement level, you felt, from the moment Mike Sullivan took over that team on December 12th of 2015, that something special was going to happen. I know it took a few games. They had that four game stretch right after he took over, but they just rolled. And this was part of it. Getting into this playoff series against the Caps, beating your, getting the, the nemesis off your back with the Rangers who had hurt them those couple of years in a row, then doing it against the Caps. You just felt like this was a special moment. No one was going to stop this Penguins team. Blinding speed, getting it from top to bottom great goaltending performances and and it just was like really special to have it happen against the the Capitals and then all of these moments through those two seasons it was almost just like a non-stop joyride for Penguins fans for anybody around the team you guys probably know exactly what I'm talking about and just the guys looked like they were having so much fun and when people on any sports team are having that much fun and you can tell you know that they're they're going in the right direction and about to accomplish something pretty historic that victory set up a massive matchup with, like you mentioned, Brian, speed and goaltending. It was the Penguins and the Lightning, two teams that matched up pretty much pound for pound at that moment in time. And although Ben Bishop did get injured in game one, which everybody thought at that point, all right, well, the <laughs> Penguins are facing a, a yep. backup. Who is this kid? Andre Vasilevsky. We'll see if he's even good. Now looking back on it, it's crazy that we even had that inclination. <laughs> and it was the coming out party for Vasilevsky and was a it's huge awesome. game one win, yep. win for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And at that point, the Pittsburgh Penguins coming off that win against Washington in game six to losing to, at that point, a backup goaltender was not a fun time between game one and two in the city of Pittsburgh. It was uh, a little bit of one of those clenching moments. Everybody was kind of worked up, and they're thinking, oh, the, the Lightning, just like the Penguins, were, were this team that were, yeah, the Penguins had their past successes, but the Lightning were on the come up, and this everyone's like, is this going to be their year? They finally have this team. It looks like it's going to be pretty good. They make it to the conference final. You know, they've been then just kind of nipping at the heels of all these moments while well, they get there and people just thought they were going to be too much. And this was one of the first moments I felt like national media was starting to kind of sleep on the penguins again, because a lot of people were picking the lightning uh, and they would do that in the Stanley cup final this year as well, which we'll talk about in a moment, I'm sure. But to look at the way the lightning came out ready for this, you knew it was going to be a brutal matchup, no matter which of those goalies was going to be in. You had the young pedigree guy who was a you know high round draft pick and look at him now. I mean, just a perennial Vesna candidate, but to, to take over for a guy like Bishop who had been so good for them, he, he, it was almost better. He got thrown in like that because he didn't really have to deal with the nerves. I don't think, and they looked like they were going to catch the penguins sleeping a little bit. And they did. Um, I, I just, one thing in this series, and you, you may be going to be asking about this, Nick is the, uh, drew in 
disallowed goal and what was it, game six? Mm-hmm. That one is the turning point of everything. And I know it's late in the series, but if that goal stands, we may never even have seen the back-to-backs or anything. But you just knew when it was overturned, thanks to um, Saucier. I mean, or, and he, he's the guy, man. He, <laughs> he caught it on the video, and here we go. Or Andy Socher. I always get his name. It's one way or the it, other. Yeah. It, it, it used to be one way. Now it's the other. It's like players in this league. But Saucier makes more sense in hockey. But we'll call him Andy Socher. But um, <laughs> that whole moment for me is the standout in that series above and beyond everything else, just because if it stands for them, who knows what happens. There's a couple of replays, especially once we get into the 2017 finals, that loomed huge <laughs> over the Pittsburgh Penguins' fate in these couple of years of great play. And following that game, we went to game two. And surprisingly enough, it's 2016 at this point. Crosby has been in the league for about a decade, and he's never scored an overtime winner in the playoffs. <laughs> well, Surefire, he delivers in game two when the team needs it most in yep. a matchup that is starting to, like, as you said, Brian, starting to lean away from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Everybody's starting to, yep. for lack of a better term, diss the Penguins. And Crosby just goes in there and snipes Vasilevsky about 15, 20 seconds into overtime and just completely changes the complexity of the series. The Penguins go on to go basically blow for blow with the Tampa Bay Lightning in these games. The Penguins gave up two leads in game five to put themselves down on the eight ball three to two facing elimination for the first time in the entire postseason. They came back with a fantastic game six, Sidney Crosby with a crazy game winning goal in that game, all to set up a game seven, the first game seven in the Eastern conference finals of these back-to-back years. And who goes out there, but our Mr. Game seven, Brian Rust, two goal performance, Matt Murray. Exactly. Mr. Clutch and Matt Murray does what he needs to do. The Penguins play a really good defensive game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, only 17 shots on goal. So what are your thoughts on the rest of this series? Horwat, you've been quiet for a little bit. So what were your thoughts thinking about this series going back through? Well, what you haven't mentioned in this whole series is the until game seven, the Lightning were without Steven Stamkos. And we can joke about it in a moment, but I had the coldest take of all time going into game seven. (laughs) Uh, But... Yeah, they were doing it all without their starting goalie, obviously. We see what Vasilevsky turned into, but they were also doing it without their captain and star center, who, you know, meant something to the team. I and mean, we saw it this past year that even with him being hurt and coming back for a, for a game and for a couple shifts, he's still able to make a difference. Um, luckily enough for that game seven, uh, he wasn't able to. He was a minus one in just the one game, but um, I think that was a huge part of it as well. And if we also look at, um, more players on the Lightning roster. They also had Jonathan Marcheseau, who two years later would be a bombshell in Vegas. So uh, my cold take from it was that I said this is – because that was the year that Stamkos was at the end of his contract and was maybe going to Toronto. And I had a real good tweet that said he's just trying to get one last game in it with Tampa before he shipped off to Toronto. Was it your tweet that he liked? Uh <laughs> I don't, it's not. And that would have been awesome. um, (laughs) That started all this rampant speculation. He liked a, uh, a a Horwat tweet saying he was on his way to (laughs) Toronto. And um... (laughs) no, that would have been fun. I would have remembered that one forever, but I do remember (laughs) saying that um, it's just his one last game before he goes to Toronto. Obviously that didn't happen, but um, I mean, Hey, I was still new to what media and everything was like. So just shot a tweet out, but also it's, 
it was a weird team. It was a very good team. Brian had mentioned it. They were an up and coming team. They were just doing this whole thing. I don't know how long he was hurt for, but I mean, they went through. They made it six deep without their captain and their. It's a trend with him, you know. Player, yeah. And All these, I mean, it just happened to them last year again. He comes back yep. for a game and has to go out, and the biggest moment of his career, probably. Yeah. So it, that was a young and up and coming team. Then finally, they got their due last year, but um, I guess you could just say at the time it just wasn't their time. Well, we're and, glad it wasn't, right? Yeah, exactly. There was <laughs> reasons glad. for it. <laughs> and that set up a series in the Stanley Cup for the first time since 2009 for the Pittsburgh Penguins, for the first time ever for the San Jose Sharks, a matchup that was thought to be Ali Frazier at this point. It, it was built very, very big from the standpoint I was at. The San Jose Sharks with Eric Carlson, with Brent Burns, with Pavelski, with... Thornton, the list goes on against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who at this point they were still looked at as, oh, you have the HBK line, and then it's, it's Malkin and Crosby. So there was still a little bit of disrespect on the Penguins, I feel like, at this point, even after going through the Lightning, even after going through the President's Trophy Capitals. But the outset of this season, who is it against? Nick Benino, as it has been this entire playoffs as the hero in Game 1. <laughs> it just... I'm going to tell you guys, media day for that Stanley Cup final, we're all going through, doing all the interviews, all the NHL.com people are here, and all the league people. I mean, it descended on the city. I mean, Elliot Friedman's here. Anyone you could think of is here. And to a man, we're at the arena, and we hear them all talking, oh, there's no chance for the Penguins, no chance at all. A really good friend of mine, Sean Rourke from NHL.com, he even told me he followed the Sharks throughout the entire playoffs. He covered all their series before he came to Pittsburgh. And he goes, I think I, I don't, he goes, I don't know if I've watched them too much or what. I don't give the Penguins any chance in this series. There were 26 people pulled on NHL.com. And I want to say 24 of them picked the Sharks to win. And two guys were laughing to the bank, whoever the other two are. I don't remember who <laughs> picked them. But I remember Sean revisiting his take with me later and saying, I was right. I think I watched the Sharks too much. I didn't realize how fast the Penguins were and how much trouble they would have with them. Uh, I don't know that they're going to win a game in this series. And they ended up winning a couple, but it, it, that started off with a big a big hero and uh, Bones again getting the job done. And boy, it, it was so fun. And for me, and I, you were probably going to ask about it, game two was almost more impressive with the face-off play to set up the Sherry goal. Mm -hmm. That's exactly where I was going next. Just the fact... <laughs> Sidney Crosby's done many things in his career, and we're still watching replays of the Tagliani assist. <laughs> but perfectly setting up exactly what's going to be an overtime winner off of a faceoff in a Stanley Cup final game is just correcting it. <laughs> peak hockey IQ. I mean, co correct, you know, just predicting what's going to happen, pointing it out. Go here, do this. You're going to score. It's all going to be magic. Uh, just do what I tell you. And guess what? It was. <laughs> no, I remember. I remember being at that game, watching him do that, and I just knew something special was bound to happen because it's yeah. Crosby lines things up the way he lined that up was something different. It seems it was a little more. I'm doing this to you right now, sort of deal. <laughs> What's even more spectacular is the fact that Connor Sherry still looked like he was surprised when the puck was on his stick, exactly where Crosby told him to be. He he he, he was. He was just floored by it, and and it's like, hey, he probably is doing what he's doing today because of the confidence he gained in that moment. It was probably huge for his career to go out, be told by 
essentially the big guy in his eyes, I mean, that's always going to be Mario to, to folks like us, that he was their true big guy. But Sid saying, do this, young man, you will be rewarded. And the next thing you know, he was. I mean, it was such an awesome moment. And I remember just watching it after because different camera angles of it and that you were able to see it, you know, the next day, really catching it from different broadcasts and everything. So amazing. And I think that things like that are so underscored still to this day from Sidney Crosby. People don't give him near enough credit for that stuff that he does an awful lot. They always think he's he's barking at people and being a tough teammate or something. No, I think he's got a better mind for the game than just about anybody else on the ice. So why wouldn't you listen to him? It helped the Pittsburgh Penguins to a three to one series lead coming back for game five at home, <laughs> having a chance to do something that no Pittsburgh Penguins team has done before. Mario Lemieux has not been able to achieve this feat, and that is winning the Stanley Cup on home ice. I was in that massive humanity outside of PPG Paints Arena. I was actually there at 9 a.m. that day, caught on Penguins Instagram playing spike ball in front of the arena. (laughs) Spike ball. And just the being there and seeing how many people were outside, even going back and watching Pittsburgh is home and seeing what the players thought of that entire scene was just amazing unfortunately the penguins were unable to get the job done that night but i want to know from you guys what was your experience from that game because even though they lost that is probably the most vivid memory i have of a losing game in my life i will i'm going to show you guys something here i think i can hold it up to the camera so this is when I when I went to the game that day, I was caught in traffic trying to get there from my my quote unquote day job. And I was on the Vets Bridge in traffic with a car in front of me that was Matt Cullen, believe it or not. And I could see it was him. And we're trying to fight through. And I had to park in a different place and then wade through that massive humanity to get into the building. And it was so funny because when I left, obviously it just looked like the city was so sad. Here it is. I have a picture that I took. I don't know if we can see it good. It is the sad couch. That was the last thing. (laughs) I took that photo outside after that. I had it working for a minute there. It's hard. Here you go. I can kind of see it. The sad couch. And that was all that was left from that massive humanity. There was garbage in a couple spaces, but that couch sat there just looking for a home. I felt so bad for it because we all wanted a cup raising in Pittsburgh and we were robbed. But boy, that was a lot of fun. And the fact you got to be in that massive humanity had to be fun. It was one of the most surreal experiences of my life. And, and of course, for me and Horwat, who both went to Point Park, we lived downtown during these two Stanley Cup runs. So we were there very yeah. often. But to be at that game in particular, I couldn't believe it because, like I said, I got there early. So at the beginning of the day, it started to grow. And I'm like, OK, well, that's about where I've seen it before. <laughs> and then I was like, well, that's a little bit more, but understandable. And then I turned around during the anthem. And it just went on forever. I couldn't see road at all. I couldn't see the top of the hill was just people's heads. It was covered. so. It was. Absolutely they put another screen in Market Square. Yeah, yeah. They, they, Market Square. <laughs> so people could congregate down there. It was insane. I've uh, never, I've never seen anything like it. Brilliant. If you remember, I was sitting next to you that day. You were because you got there early and basically held down my spot. I think I had to work that morning. Um, and I parked pretty much on Point Park's campus. And the, my most vivid memory is walking back with my chair slung over my shoulder, um, <laughs> basically in tears. I wasn't actually crying, but I was just thinking, like, what the hell actually just happened? That was supposed to be the moment for this team, um, especially that year. And, 
I just remember walking back. I think the second the final second clicked off, I didn't even say goodbye to you. I think we just parted ways. Yeah. And said there were no words said. Yeah. I think we just figured we'll discuss things come game six. And I can just remember walking back, chair over my shoulder, uh, just having moments to myself to reflect on what actually just happened because the game was in the grand scheme of things for a hockey fan. That was an incredible hockey game, or at least a credible hockey first period. Yeah. Because, you know, the Sharks come out flying. The Penguins immediately answer back, and we figure, we're in this. And then it all fell apart, and no one was able to score again. So <laughs> it was a hell of a game, but just the moments. Um, it felt like your heart was ripped out. It just you, – you still can't even get your head around the way that it happened. The, the people that were outside, the guys felt it. They knew what mm-hmm. was going on, and I think the pressure was immense. Like, you know, you've heard different guys give different opinions on it, as you just said from the um, documentary, but – they they were feeling the crush and and knowing like seeing Matt Cullen sitting in traffic trying to get to the game was I've I've seen guys showing up before but usually they're just getting harassed for some autographs down by the Seven Eleven down the street you know in traffic <laughs> guys running out but to have to wade through that to get to his parking spot to get into the building and you know he wasn't the only one they saw what was happening and they did not want to let that crowd down they wanted to bring the cup back to Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh for the first time, and unfortunately it didn't happen. But I think we'll let them slide because um, one game later, they accomplished their task. Exactly. One game later, <laughs> a pretty decent victory, too. Uh, all things considered, kind of a, a, a dull game, to be completely honest. It is a strong defensive game, but not a lot of opportunities, similar to the ending of... Game seven against the Lightning. Matt Murray doesn't have to make too many saves. He only has 19 shots that he faced. Chris Letang gets the game-winning goal from Sidney Crosby on what is a play that those two make basically every day. Every game we see them make a play. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) And it just happened to be immortalized in game six. The Penguins win the Stanley Cup, bring it back to Pittsburgh for the first time since 2009, the second of Sidney Crosby's career. He ties Mario Lemieux and a tremendous tremendous top of the mountain moment for a top of the mountain team i would completely agree it was just awesome uh to see them get it done and this version of them like they did it in 09 they were this scrappy group of kids that had to come back and punch the detroit red wings in the mouth after having what happened the year before occur this group was mature they were just in all business i mean you could i mean they celebrated that win but you could see even just the way Sidney Crosby approached his business from the moment one of the playoffs through the Stanley Cup final, he was locked in. He was workmanlike. I mean, this there's a reason why we call him the prototypical hockey player. He he is or a pro hockey player. He is just that. And he went out, he accomplished his business along with a group of guys that were completely locked into the mindset of getting this done and winning that Stanley Cup. And when you look at even their blue line on this one, yeah, still Chris Letang was there. But it was almost a mishmash blue line that Jim Rutherford built uh, with the Trevor Dailies of the world and the Justin Schultz of the world and, and all these things coming in and being a part of it. And from the year before, Ian Cole and, and Ben Lovejoy, who they were run out of town on their own teams. And here they are being part of a huge victory in Pittsburgh, led by the captain, Sidney Crosby. It was just amazing to see. Yeah, I got none more. That summed it up perfectly. I mean, the, like Bronansky said, the game wasn't all that entertaining um the most i got from it it might almost be poetic that i went from game five in that mass of people with you Berlansky, to watching game six by my damn self yeah so that's exactly where it. i was at too got to savor it 
Yeah. <laughs> it was me and my dad on his couch, and that was it. And what happened is the game ended. We saw it. We watched them raise the Stanley Cup. Again, not a word said. And then he said, I'm going to bed. And I said, okay. And I sat there and watched it silently for the rest of the night. And that closed the book on 2016 for me. And that's what we're going to do right now on this podcast. Take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the 2017 Stanley Cup run for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll be right back. Tales with TR presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow Terry Ryan on all social media platforms. New episodes every Tuesday or Thursday, wherever you download podcasts from. Welcome back to a special presentation of the Hockey Podcast Network, brought to you as always by DraftKings. Remember to use code THPN at sign up for great odds and great opportunities to get your start on sports betting. If you don't like sports betting, there's also daily fantasy. So check out DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports. Again, use code THPN for great savings. We're back here talking about the decade that was for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We already ran down the 2016 Cup run, and what they wanted to do was they wanted to repeat for the second time in Penguins history, for the first time in the 21st century. And the Penguins got into the playoffs again in the same place, the second seed in the Metropolitan Division, setting up a series against, I guess, their arrival, the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Penguins did exactly what they did to the New they York think Rangers. They are. They, yeah. Their Twitter thinks they are, but that's about it. Uh, you're exactly right. They think they are. Their Twitter thinks they are. And I don't know. I'm not seeing it, guys. I don't know. What do you think? Well, not this year, especially. I mean, <laughs> they definitely do put up fights against us. We definitely do have battles against that team. That's for sure. I mean, um, the two styles of play really lend their hands to that, I'd say. I mean, Jake Gensel likes playing them. At least he did it during this run. Yeah, (laughs) Putting up five goals and one assist in the five-game series, including a hat trick in game three, which kind of put his stamp that he was here Mm -hmm. to be a playmaker in that that playoff. That was on Easter Sunday, yes. (laughs) My mind just remembers stupid things like that. But Strange enough, in comparison to 2016, before game one, the Penguins' starting goaltender goes down with an injury. But this time, it's not Mr. Game 1 Jeff Zadkoff. It's somebody that has a little bit more experience than him. Marc-Andre Fleury steps between the pipes for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that turns into a very important storyline throughout this postseason. Now, I don't want to stick on Columbus too much just because crunch for time. It was very much a nothing series. It was fun to squash little brother in that series. (laughs) A 4-1 to series win for the Penguins to set up a series against a team that they had seen before in the Washington Capitals, a team that they had seen before in the same circumstances. Round two, Washington is the president's trophy winner. Washington is favored again. And what do the Penguins do but go out and win the first two games in D.C.? It was unbelievable, too, because people, again, were not giving the Penguins any chance whatsoever of hanging with the Capitals this year because it's the Capitals and it's Ovi and it's their turn and the Penguins don't, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury can't do it. They don't have the depth. They don't have the defense. Well, I'd say they had all of it when they went out. And I will say this much. If Marc-Andre Fleury put a a cherry on his career in Pittsburgh, it happened in that particular series. Because without him and his performance, they probably don't beat the Capitals this time around. But the goaltender uh, stole the show. The flower truly bloomed in the spring, as he's done so many times in the past, and sent the Washington Capitals crying into the night yet again. You didn't want it to be, but you kind of knew going into the playoffs that this, whenever he started playing, this was Flurry's last ride almost. You really wanted him to um, succeed as much as he could. 
I think there was talks of him maybe taking it the whole way from beginning to end to win a Stanley Cup and go out that way. We'll get into what happens with that. But the fact that he was able to really cap off, for the most part, cap off his Penguins career the way he did in Washington, not so much the Ottawa series, but the Washington series, incredible stuff. I mean, a game seven shutout, that huge save on Ovechkin with the, uh, Playing of the stick, I guess we'll call it. Whatever that, whatever that was. Um, he was he was showing it. He was showing right it some respect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he does with his posts. Uh, he had to do it with uh with his with his with the butt end of his stick. But yeah, it's it seemed like it was the perfect final ride for him in Pittsburgh. Huge wins all around, all four of them. You know, well, yeah. The yeah, thing is, in those first couple games, I mean, we have the Niskan and Sid incident. Luckily, they dodged a big-time bullet there. But whenever that happened, people right away were writing the Penguins off even more mm-hmm. because of the no Sidney Crosby. They're not going to have any chance. And that game in particular was wild. I mean, it was the only overtime of the series. Well, it happened, and then the Penguins were down to nothing going in late, late into the game, late into the third. Yep. Were they rifled off? Was it Were both goals with the empty net or just one of them? I think they scored one, and I'm pretty I'm pretty certain they had one before the empty net. But okay. my mind is failing me here because it yeah. could have been both. But they, I, just the way that they did it, was was awesome. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's that was one of those games you wish you could just say at least we got a point out of it. Yeah, but, agreed. I agreed. <laughs> uh, but that was a hell of a way to fight and to fight back and to really show who who they were because they weren't going down without a fight in that series, especially losing their captain like that. Yeah, and and to have them um, really push back in all ways, it, it was a, it was just a remarkable uh, victory, a remarkable thing for Sid to come back, lead them. The, the the core of this team, we always talk about them as being Sid, Gino, Latang, and Flurry was a part of that as mm-hmm. much a part as anyone else. That that group of guys almost willed this team to victory, even though it wasn't Chris Latang. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Right, they're always involved. You know, they're yeah. just there. That core, one one portion or another of that core is involved. And it's funny because this was the time where Justin Schultz really put his stamp on the Pittsburgh Penguins team yep. that year. It was peak Justin Schultz. I mean, I'm wearing the shirt right now, walking on sunshine for Justin. There it Schultz. is. <laughs> but that goalie scored in the game that Crosby went down. One of the biggest goals in a losing effort in that arena so far. And I know I'm saying that, but it is a young arena. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to put that label on it. And then of course, coming out the following game without Sid and scoring that huge goal late in the game as well. That was big for Justin Schultz. The rest of the series was big for the Pittsburgh Penguins flurry shutout against the caps in game seven. That is his swan song to Pittsburgh and whether or not he ends up coming back in the future, that will be the moment that Marc-Andre Fleury forever immortalized himself in the city of Pittsburgh. You're exactly right. Um, It it was just a spectacular performance. And the Penguins were on a mission in that game seven because there was a lot of speculation that they, Washington got out with that, that uh, five to two win in game six and just knew in their minds, they were going to win. Arena workers were talking amongst themselves that you could hear them partying in the locker room. They, they thought that it was over with, and they were literally having as if they, they were celebrating the series win in game six, like rock, raucously. I mean, it was this insane, obnoxious, like arena workers were upset about it. It got back to the Penguins. They knew this. I mean, and you don't want to say it's locker room material or, you know, bulletin board material. Stuff like that really is. 
And I know the guys were kind of rubbed wrong by it. And lo and behold, they come out with a really good performance. They get the goals that they needed and the goaltender put the cherry on top, as you just pointed to again, it, it was awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels between the 2016 cup and the 2017 cup. And I'm going to draw another one right here. The penguins get through the Washington capitals only to get smacked in the mouth by a competitor in the next series in game one. And that of course lends itself to Bobby Ryan's overtime goal in game one to give the senators the one, nothing series lead. I mean, the penguins going up against Guy Boucher's system was a completely different challenge that they had not faced at all that season so far, basically and at all the season prior in the playoffs as well, it was something that the Penguins needed to change around. And you even saw it in game three, whenever Marc-Andre Fleury was pulled, kind of the end of that miraculous run for him. Now, he did get a shout-out in game two, a one to nothing victory with Kessel getting the lone goal. But in game three, Fleury was pulled, and the Penguins looked after three games like they were not going to be able to score more than maybe one goal a game on this team. It, it was a lot more tenuous than anybody gave it credit for because I think on paper, we were all feeling pretty confident going into it. You knew it was going to be tough defensively, but it was like, okay, the Penguins have all that. Their team is really rolling now. They have everything they're going to need to beat the, the Ottawa Senators. Well, it was a lot tighter than anybody could have dreamed, and it was a recipe for disaster. It's a testament to this group that they got by them because if you think about what has always undone the Pittsburgh Penguins specifically with – Going, actually going all the way back to the Mario group, a good defensive uh, game that takes away the center of the ice, that doesn't allow them to play their speed game, disrupts everything that they do. If these centers can't go out and kind of direct the game and just control what they want to have happen, everything is kind of upset. And that's what Guy Boucher did a really good job of in this series. They were taking everything away from the Penguins. They were getting really solid goaltending. Craig Anderson probably played the best I've ever seen in his career. And you almost feel bad for a guy like that losing because he was he was lights out and the Penguins are having mm -hmm. a lot of trouble scoring goals on him. And I still to this day, though, regret the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury didn't get a chance to, to ride it out. Um, I heard some stories about that, that there was a tough conversation had between Coach and, um, and Fleury, letting him know that he was going to go back to Matt Murray. And, of course, being the, the consummate teammate that Mark is, he never let that show. But I know he was kind of – he was really upset about it, and it hurt him that he wasn't able to ride this out and finish it. Yeah, that's that was a hard moment. I mean, Fleury is the consummate professional, though. You knew he was going to take it the right way. At least you would hope so. I mean, there was always rumors, especially the year before, whenever he wasn't playing at all, that we weren't sure exactly, you know, what Fleury's feelings were toward, toward the team because – he wasn't getting played, and it was his team going in. So there was all kind of speculation, from what I remember, just of that he wasn't liking the team, that he was the one requesting trades all season or this, that, and the other. I mean, in hindsight, 2020 now, everything's fine. We won two cups out of it. But at the time, there was a lot of hot water around that situation. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and this was the year that I think that Jim Rutherford would have moved him if he could have found a fit and if Mark really would have been okay. But I think it is a testament to him that he kind of said, you know, I'll, I want to stay. Uh, I want to make the help you win. And the deal was essentially made at that point that he would go to the Vegas Golden Knights in the expansion draft, that they would make that a reality for him because he and his family had already scouted the situation out a little bit and knew that it would be a reality and a good fit for him. And um, it's crazy to think that those kinds of backdoor deals happen yeah. a little bit, but I, I honestly do believe that at that moment, the deal was made with, with Vegas 
saying, hey, the flower is going to be available. How are we going to make this work? That's what Mark wants. He's going to stay here and help us the rest of this year. Following that decision to change goalies up, Matt Murray starts in game four. The Penguins get the three to two win to pull the series even. And then they come out in game five and just absolutely wall up the Ottawa Senators in an afternoon game, <laughs> seven to nothing. Going to Ottawa, trying to put it away. Again, kind of the same thing as early in the series a two to one win for the Ottawa Senators. Matt Murray played well, but the Penguins just couldn't beat Craig Anderson. And then game seven. <laughs> I'm going to sit back and not say much because. <laughs> I had about five heart attacks during the course of this game, not even <laughs> counting overtime slash the second overtime. Horwood, I know you were in the building, but mm-hmm. Ryan, were you in the building during that game? I worked the broadcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was there. <laughs> I and uh, and um, it was crazy because I did the intermission report ahead of that overtime, and then I was back at my seat. And I kind of sat right almost at center ice and it happened right off to my right. And I saw the whole play develop and it's just one of those, one of my favorite moments to have been there for. And I've seen some really cool ones, but that win and seeing them get the trophy that night and everything was just really, really, really special thing to see that group do it again to see. And of course I had to run to the locker room. So I didn't actually get to see all of it play out on the ice, but I was looking Mm -hmm. at it after. And it was just fun to see this time, you know, Sid, Chris Kunitz and and Gino go to receive that trophy. And uh, Cooney really ingrained himself in that moment too, as part of that core. And it's a shame they didn't get to come back again because that was kind of his last ride too, yeah. um, uh, being a part of this run. And, and we didn't even get to mention him through the, the whole 16 run or this yeah. run, but he, <laughs> Chris Kunitz, you know, how do we do that? But yeah, to have him be there with that leadership group and score that goal, it was really, really special. Yeah. I mean, Let's be real. I mean, through Kunitz's career, yeah, he won a cup in Anaheim before he came here, but he really made himself a Pittsburgh Penguin um, through his time here. And this was a year, seven, the 16-17 season, where we really weren't sure what was going to happen with Kunitz because I think we saw he was getting older. We weren't so confident in him. But, I mean, this game set him apart from everything, I think. I mean, Contributing on, contributing on all three of the Penguins' goals, and obviously the biggest one being that double overtime. Um, through for that hockey game in general, Game Seven, the best game I've ever seen in person. <laughs> and I mean, I've I've talked about this damn game so many times on the podcast. I it's probably sound like a broken record, but one of the best games I've ever seen in real life. Um, just every goal, even the first overtime that. I thought Dumoulin had the game winner at one point when um, Anderson just wasn't looking and had to throw his leg down as quickly as he could. Um, every moment from beginning to end of that game was incredible. And we discussed last uh, the, the year before about biggest moments in this, in the building's history. I think that overtime goal, that double overtime goal from Kunitz was at that point and still is right now, at least the biggest moment in that, in the building's history, because you couldn't have lined it up more perfectly, I think. I mean, it was double overtime to go into their second straight Stanley Cup. I mean, it was Kunitz, who I just said, has really made himself a penguin through the years before. And you could even look back at it now and say, what happened to the Senators organization? Was that really <laughs> the closest they could have gotten? Um, but just an amazing moment. And I was in Section 110. It happened right in front of me. So um, just moments I'll never forget either. It's 
hearing you even recollect it, it's kind yeah. of one of those like moments where you, you almost get chills hearing hearing your take on it because it, it is a special moment in franchise history uh, for us to kind of be there, be part of it, witness it. Um, that's special for our, us as people that work around and follow this team. And um, just the fact that it was Sid setting up Kunitz too was kind of yeah. cool. Cause like, once again, the captain leaves his fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. Kunitz scores this big goal. It wasn't the most beautiful goal or anything. He almost fluttered the puck and that's probably a big reason why it scored. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of was end over end. It almost like a knuckle puck in a way. But then to see Anderson just kind of hanging his head there, Bobby Ryan on a knee right in front of him, realizing I think that that was probably his last best chance at it too. I mean, he's been in the league almost as yeah. long as Sidney Crosby. He was the consolation prize in the Sid sweepstakes. And yep. um, I, I don't know. It's just all these little storylines really played into it. And then all of the scoring chances that really were there in that first overtime too. I think there were a couple both ways. And, yeah. and it, it could have almost ended at any moment. And then the Penguins come out, get it done just over five minutes in. And it was awesome. They moved on from there and went into a series against the Nashville Predators for the Stanley Cup championship. <laughs> In 2017, but the big problem again, Penguins became the underdogs. People said the Nashville Predators are too deep on defense. They can handle the Penguins forwards. They have great scorers. James Neal is going to be the revelation of the Stanley Cup Finals. All these and more. And then the Penguins get out to a quick 3 to nothing lead in the first period of Game 1, only to not shoot the puck for the next two periods <laughs> and let the Predators back into the game before Jake Gensel gets that first shot on goal. A beautiful shot on goal that ends up going right in the top shelf where Mama hides the cookies and the Penguins take game one in an absolutely incredible game that nobody, nobody could have figured what was going to happen on that night. Just the fact that they went without a shot for uh, essentially over a period. Wasn't it like 28 minutes of game time without a shot? I believe it was... Closer to 43 minutes. 43 minutes. I, I always mm-hmm. forget the number. It was just insane. I, mean, I watched it, and I, you couldn't mm-hmm. believe what I was seeing. And the fact that you had all of that, and the thing was they scored the three goals on next to no shots as well because Pecorine's numbers in that building are horrific. If you look at his numbers in Pittsburgh, they are ridiculous. It is a house of horrors for him, and it was <laughs> the same in this, in this Stanley Cup final. And I almost feel bad for him because he's a good guy. But it, it, it wasn't good, and the Penguins lit him up early, didn't get a shot for essentially a whole game, and then come out and get that goal from Jake Gensel, and then it, it's over, essentially. Biggest heartbreak is the fact that Nashville people were able to get a catfish into the building during the series. <laughs> I didn't that, like that. <laughs> that and the Listerine bottle that P.K. Subban brought in with him. Did you see he eventually admitted that he was just um, talking trash? He eventually yeah, yeah. admitted it. <laughs> Yeah, the amount of drama and nonsense that came from this series was wild. Things like the catfish and the Listerine. I mean, the Subban thing, I don't know, it was weird. I think that's the only word way to put it. He blew up something that was nothing, that he didn't have to. But It's kind of like Logan Couture the year before saying that Sid cheated on face-ups. Yeah, forgot about all that. <laughs> I mean, that's what you have to do against Sid. If you can't beat him, you just have to complain about him, and we've seen that for 15, 16 years yep. now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um I know you're going to be going into it here, Nick, but how crazy to see things transpire the way they did when they went to Nashville then. Of course, you you (laughs) mentioned it perfectly. Right after the Penguins get that big game one win, they go and have a huge game two win as well. A four to one win where the Penguins controlled the pace of play the entirety of the game. Another 2-0 series lead for them. 
And then they go into Nashville and get blown out in games three and four. And you just have no idea where this series is going to go heading into game five. And lo and behold, six to nothing. And the legend of Ron Hayes, Hainsey lives long and well in the city of Pittsburgh. <laughs> Good old Ron Hainsey. Yeah. It, when I have something, I'll show you guys. I have another photo at the ready that I <laughs> hope I will be able to get on the camera here. But yeah, um, I, I don't know that. Anybody was thrilled with how things went in Nashville, but to see the Penguins come back to Pittsburgh, though, and go nutso, <laughs> right then you had a feeling it was over, uh, and it was awesome because they just were great defensively all of a sudden. The offense found a way to finally break through, and they lit them up. And, uh, hey, that was probably – we talk about cherries on careers. The final two games of that series were Matt Murray's cherry on his career in Pittsburgh, I think. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely the <laughs> the games that I like to remember. Let's just forget everything that happened follow, following that with Matt Murray. Yeah, it's butterfly effect, this thing. Take it back to there. Uh, you're comfortable with Mark andre moving on. Murray's going to be a v- perennial Vesna candidate. Back-to-back shutouts in the Stanley Cup final. This guy's a world burner, man. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, that's, that's it was interesting. I'll give you that. That's one way of looking at it. I love it. I mean, that was another game though. That game five, no, just blowing the doors off of them. I mean, you had Brian had already mentioned here the Pecorine's numbers. Uh, this is what this was a game that really had um people clamoring to learn who UC Soros was because he was about to be the future of this team. That's how how much the Penguins just put on Pecorine. I mean. There was that Ron Hainsey goal, which, yeah, was late in the, on Saros. But I think that was probably one of the better moments of this whole series because it really defined what this team was for the Penguins because we didn't have Chris Letang the entire playoffs. We had to use a guy like Ron Hainsey like this, and he proved to be worth it apparently with that goal. And, yeah, shunning out the Predators two games in a row, um, going into Nashville. I think winning in Nashville was sweeter than not winning at home, but was a pretty sweet moment given how many headlines the Nashville fans were catching that that playoff year because of their chance and their rowdiness and just how they were kind of new to the spectrum of this of being hockey fans yeah not not from a common hockey area in Tennessee but you know really showing themselves as people who can have fun and enjoy the sport and maybe going a little over the top on certain things <laughs> And really getting under my skin, for example. But um, it was really fun winning in Nashville, to say the least. So am I fair to assume that you're saying it's all their fault? It's all their fault. (laughs) You suck. It's all your fault. Uh, Do they still do all that? I'm not sure. Well, they haven't had fans this year to hear. Yeah, Yeah, but uh, you know what? Um, I, I think I got rubbed the wrong way when I saw them making the fish chug the beer. It's like show yeah. little, you know, it's like it's one thing to watch these big burlies like pour beer all over themselves and make it into a monster truck pool and do all this kind of stuff. But when you took the poor dead catfish and you're pouring a beer down its gaping, you know, mullet or whatever you it was this yeah. gullet. It was a shame. I felt so bad for the fish. And then it still had to take a flight onto the ice. And um that stuff was a little over the top. Them beating the car out in the street. Oh, yeah. They destroyed how many vehicles. And like you said, have fun. It was awesome. And we'll we'll take the Stanley Cup back to Pittsburgh. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> a huge win for the Pittsburgh Penguins. The first time since the Detroit Red Wings of 1997 and 98 that the NHL had a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion. Prior to that, 
and let me see if I can do this correctly. Right there, the 1991 rally towel for the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> nice. Was the 91-92 Pittsburgh Penguins that won back-to-back. And, of course, behind Horwat, the famed back-to-back shirt that he has of the picture taken yeah, that is with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. An absolutely fantastic picture. And just putting those together with the Lemieux and Yager makes it even better. But yep. we're going to take one quick break. When we come back, our closing thoughts and our favorite stories from these runs. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the special presentation of the Hockey Podcast Network brought to you by DraftKings. Use code THPN. At DraftKings Sportsbook to get your opportunity at great odds to start out your sports betting career. My name is Nick Berlansky of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. I'm joined by my co-host Nick Horwat of the Tip of the Iceberg and by Brian Metzer of Penguins Live. We just broke down the back-to-back Stanley Cups for the Pittsburgh Penguins. A little quick caveat here about them going for the three-peat. Of course, they went in and they avenged the loss to the Philadelphia yes. Flyers. And, and what do we have here? <laughs> that Mr. Ron Hainsey image. Is it the Ron Hainsey image that you're bringing up? Yep. And it's, the, I took these pictures myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the coolest man. man in the room. Here's, there's a couple more here chugging the beer. And then the last one enjoying his beer. Yeah. And he, he's like, Hey, notice me. I just won the Stanley cup and my first time ever in the playoffs. Yeah. So yeah, he was just, it was awesome. Ron Hainsey, uh, when you said the legend of Ron Hainsey, yeah. I had those pictures ready. I, I had to show them. So <laughs> I wish I still had the pictures from that parade because I have pictures of there's one that I particularly love of Connor Sherry and Jake Gensel, each with beer in tow, holding what we called the colander cup, which was just a trash can <laughs> spray painted silver with a colander strapped down yep. to it. I remember Both of them signing that. Uh, that was definitely one of the most fun days <laughs> that I can remember. I went and bought a gold PS4 after that parade. I just was in such a good mood at that point. <laughs> but in 2018, it did not go as well for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Of course, they did avenge the loss to Philadelphia from 2012, but followed it up. Finally, the Capitals were able to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. When Evgeny Kuznetsov scored that goal, I just want really quick thoughts on your feelings at that point. I kind of had a sigh of relief, like, okay, that is the end of this run. That closes the book on this storied run and almost like, okay, this is where it ends. We knew it had to end at some point, not even upset. And sort of the same thing as game five in 2016, just pack your stuff up. It's over. Let's go home. It's interesting. Um, because yeah, it did feel kind of like a bookend on, on all of this, uh, the two years of magic coming to an end there. And, almost the end of these guys' careers, even though we knew they were going to be under contract for a while longer. But you kind of felt like the team was not going to be the same. And and I know we'll get into that. But I will tell you guys, the great Hall of Famer, Mike Lang, still to this day, I've talked to him a couple of times about this. He insists, because if you look at these Capital Series, they're always just a a tug of war. And, And it's one break this way or one way break that way tends to determine games. And in this series, you had the Patrick Hornquist disallowed goal uh, earlier in the series that it still to this day, I don't know how it wasn't a goal, but Mike Lang insists had the Penguins gotten past the Capitals as they had so many times before he was convinced they had what it took to make a three peat run because they were still 
among the best teams in this league. It just so happened the Capitals got a couple more breaks than them, and the Penguins weren't able to get a big save when they needed it in this series, as they did so many times in the past. Matt Murray uh, kind of crumbled a little bit. Kuznetsov scores the goal, and as you said, they sent the Penguins off quietly into the night and thinking we might not see this for a while moving forward. I think the biggest thing for me was the game-winning goal for Alex Ovechkin in Game 3 with just a minute left. The fact that Murray was able to make the initial save, but Ovi kind of maturing a little bit in that moment instead of trying to shoot the puck and imagine that he's already going to score the goal, he stayed put and he was able to bat the puck out of the air and beat Matt Murray, which gave them a huge win in Game 3. You just saw it that it, it was the Capitals' year. The bounces went their way. Everything went their way. And as apropos it is it for the Penguins to go and win the Cup after beating the Capitals, it was apropos for the Capitals to go and win the Cup after beating the Pittsburgh Penguins. But as you mentioned, Brian, the team slowly dismantled after that. Of course, during that season, you had the Broussard trade that happened the following season, I believe, or was it that season as well, the Haglin trade that started everything with Tanner Pearson and brought that whole trade tree into light i think that was um into 18 19 no uh yeah brett brassard was there whenever they lost to the islanders in ugly fashion um but yeah I, I just a complete facelift on that team um and one one quick note on the caps i think that was a barry trotz win more than uh almost more than anybody else too because he mm. finally got his message through two guys like Ovi. That's why he started playing a two-way game and doing all of that but when you get to this uh the the facelift no more Kunitz, no more Ian Cole, no more Ron Hainsey that was part of the championship, no Benino. Scott Wilson had played 20 games during the 17 run and was very valuable. They let him go. Fleury obviously gone. Trevor Daly gone. You can also say that when you got into the 18-19 year, you, you no longer had Carl Hagelin. He, he was moved on. You had a couple other big-name guys move on as well, and it was just a very different-looking team, and they – almost in the changes that they made brought themselves back to the pack in terms of the speed, their speed really differentiated them from the rest of the pack in the 16, 17 runs. I know they did both of those years a little bit different, but they were still fast. They got slower each and every year with almost every move they made. And by that time they had looked like they were old and slow and it looked like it was 2014 all over again. It was close to it anyway. Yeah, it's, Watching the dismantling was not good. I mean, I think it, we all know it all started with that Ryan Reeves deal. Like, love it or hate it for what he did with the team. Um, either way, it wasn't good in the long shot because we didn't keep him and give it the shot or because we did it at all. That's kind of what started this whole domino effect on how the team would not fall apart, but kind of dismantle to what we saw it going into um, those that Islander series and then into the following year, it became bare bones almost. I would agree. I would agree with that. It, it just was not a very penguin looking team anymore. And the fact that they found a way to go out and get swept by the Islanders who suddenly it was Barry Trotz again, though, uh, yeah. coming out and doing that. And, and it brings up that whole thing. They had to find a way to break down a defensive club like that. And you do that with some speed, you create openings for yourself. They weren't able to do it. They weren't able to score. They were just completely shut down again. They weren't shooting enough. It was all those things we've always complained about when they go up against these teams that are so good defensively. And uh, you can make a case that that's almost what the Montreal Canadiens did to them as well. in the, in the qualifying round just last uh, summer in the return to play, 
They they limited the Penguins' opportunities. They got a great goaltending performance. How many times when Penguins' heartbreak has happened in the Sidney Crosby of Genny Malkin era do we end up saying, well, boy, they just couldn't score on that goaltender. It was a hot goalie, <laughs> hot goalie. Well, those hot goalies, Yero Halak aside, have been Tuka Rask. It's been Carey Price. It's been um, any number of other guys who have stood on their heads against them. Uh, Robin Lehner for the Islanders played most of those games. He was really good against them. So – I, I don't know. It, 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 there is a recipe to beat this group of the Penguins, no matter who's playing for them in the, in that moment with this core. But it was just heartbreaking to see the last couple of years come out of those two cups. But we need to remind everybody, you're only three years removed. And guess what? The Penguins, at the moment of our recording, are mere points away from being the top dog in the entire National Hockey League, mm-hmm. as well as potentially winning their division and setting up a nice playoff run this year. So we'll see how that goes, right? For sure. Hundred percent. So what I want to do here, because we're kind of strapped for time here mm-hmm. at the end of this show, I want everybody's favorite story from that run, really quickly, thirty seconds or less, and then we'll go straight to the next person. Horat, let's start with you. Your favorite story from those two cup runs? From the two cup runs, I mean, I I, I could tell the game seven, the double OT game seven, you know, until the dogs mm-hmm. come home. But I'm gonna go a different route and say that my favorite moment, really, maybe it's more of a moment, is, um after we won the second cup in 17, when they're doing the pass, when they're passing the cup around uh, flurry skated over and gave it to Matt Murray as really the, really the, the, this is your team, the passing of the torch. And um, it was a moment that I will never forget. I'm sure Matt Murray will never forget it. I'm sure flurry will never forget it. And I think it was the perfect way to seal off um, at the time, at least, Flurry's career in Pittsburgh with the passing of the tor- torch almost to Matt Murray. I have the picture of it on my phone. If Brian's pulling up photos, I'm pulling up mine. <laughs> there um, it is. <laughs> it was my background for a long time. Um, it's an awesome image, and it was a moment that gave me goosebumps and chills for a week. So that's my favorite moment by far throughout that whole series. Yeah, I, ahead, I, I agree with you. I mean, that was up there. Just that, just watching those guys celebrate th- this team gets to be so close any team does when they win but the fact that 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 core was able to do it again and guys were coming out dressed just for the celebration they didn't even play i mean that that's so neat to see um but i i would say all of those overtime wins that we talked about if i can combine them as one memory Mm -hmm. those moments really just i remember covering the games i had to write on deadlines for them and i still was able to appreciate them as a fan being there in the building for uh huge wins like that um but I, I think ultimately that Kunitz win because it brought that that group of guys together to receive that conference trophy again, set themselves up for a back-to-back playoff run, or Stanley Cup run, a Stanley Cup win, and be the only team in the cap era to win back-to-back. That's even more special mm-hmm. because it's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. So that run with that moment and and those three guys receiving the trophy and going out, and, uh, and I'm talking about Kunitz, Sid, and, and Gino, I know um, it just was special to see it. And then to see them go on and win that Stanley Cup, I, I really appreciate it. And it's fun to be a part of it and in a small way, working those game broadcasts. I couldn't agree more. I, I think the overtimes are really the moments that stick in people's memory. Even even when you lose the series, the overtimes loom large. And I know that didn't happen in 2016 or 2017, but I think back to 20, 2008, the Peter Sikora overtime goal and stuff like that. Huge. So yep. definitely the, the massive and the just the level of severity of an overtime game. I completely agree. The moment that I want to highlight, as much as I love HBK, as much as I loved seeing Shawn Michaels in attendance in Pittsburgh, 
My favorite <laughs> moment was watching Pascal Dupuy get to, to have the Stanley Cup in 2016. Yep. Everything yep. that he had yep. gone through with his family, the fact that he stuck by the Penguins' side and was rewarded in the end by his teammates. And I know that they are not going to say that they did it all for him, but a small portion of them, they wanted to win it for him as well. And that was something that loomed in their mind. So Pascal Dupuy and him being able to get his name engraved on the Stanley Cup, that was one of the, my favorite moments of the back-to-back cup run. It's amazing how you can rally around things like that. And um, you can point to that sad moment years earlier when the Penguins lost to the Rangers. That was them rallying around Marty St. Louis' mom dying. So, you know, These crazy things happen, dupers, blood clot being among them, and you can use that as a rallying call for a team, and the Penguins were able to do that. So really, really good one. I, I remember that, too. It was just a really neat moment that they were able to come around him and bring him out and give him that, that opportunity to hoist it. Well, we're going to wrap this one up. We're going to have final thoughts really quickly, though. Brian, any last words on this show that we had on any of the topics we talked about? Uh, Just quickly, it was awesome to do it with you guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Just a really fun trip down memory lane. Sorry, I rambled on about a lot of it. Uh, I tend to do that when I get an opportunity to do this with you guys. But just uh, when you look at this quick last decade, I think we've been so blessed and lucky. I know I told you before we went live, Sidney Crosby, the second highest scorer between 2010 and today with 874 points in just 702 games. Penguins top team in the league, 491, 252 and 79 for 1,061 points in the decade. So good on them. And it's been fun to do this with you guys. It's uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Brian, thank you for coming on. It's been a blast. We don't mind the rambling. I mean, you listen back to some of our episodes. I go on and on and on. As long um, as you guys enjoy it. Hey, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we all have great times here. Thank you to DraftKings for helping us do this as well. And I still, whenever I have downtime, sometimes we'll just pop on highlights from those two years because uh, they were special moments for me and Berlanski's lives for sure. I mean, we were freshmen and sophomores in college. We were just getting to know each other. And uh, we felt like we were there for the whole thing, being on Point Park, being at Point Park, and you know the big screens, and then coming back around for everything. Um, and we were able to remember it a little more because we weren't. Um, uh, where were we? Eleven or twelve in two thousand nine? I mean, I was thirteen. I don't know about you, but uh, so I was definitely younger. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we were young and then, so we didn't have the greatest memory, but. We were able to really remember these 16 and 17 uh, cup runs for sure. You guys make me feel old. I covered that series too. (laughs) (laughs) Horwood, I think it's fair to say that the 2016 and 17 runs were the foundation of the show that we do, the tip of the iceberg on the Hockey Podcast Network, (laughs) because that was the first times that we actually kind of covered games together for WPPJ back in the dingy studios on the banks of the Mongahela (laughs) River. But I want to thank both you Horwat and you Brian for coming on to the show it's always fun to get to sit down and talk to you guys especially about penguins hockey i know we all really have a good time talking to each other brian we were talking 5 minutes before here we <laughs> probably should have just hit record at that point because <laughs> it, it was up, a great yeah. conversation but <laughs> thank you to draftkings who sponsored this one last time use code thpn at draftkings sportsbook to get great deals and great opportunities on your start to sports betting but For Brian, for Horwat, and for me, Nick Berlansky, we would like to say thank you one last time, and we'll see you guys next time on hopefully another episode where we get to talk about Penguins' Stanley Cup victories.